Hello, everybody. Welcome to Quantum Witch Cafe, your safe place to talk about anything strange, paranormal, fringe, UFO, UAP, if you're that fancy. Tonight, I have the honor of having Mr. Mark Cipher on the channel. Um, you might recognize him from anything Tesla, really. But um, if you watch that show, Tesla Files, uh, that's where he had a lot of appearances on TV. So, Mr. Cipher, thank you so much for, you know, giving your time tonight and coming on my small channel. Um, to me, you're a big deal because you've written amazing books about Mr. Tesla. So you have them behind you, right? You've written a lot of great books. But um, do you want to give uh, – oh, wait, actually, let me thank everybody first. I'm so sorry. How rude of me. Thank you to everybody live in the chat, uh, Paranormal Pixie, Cat. Curious George and anybody listening on Anomalous Podcast Network now, later, in the future, in another dimension, wherever you're listening, thank you, thank you, thank you. Give a like and all that stuff. And Skinny Bob, you've, I've never seen you here before, so welcome. All right. So, Mr. Cypher, we want to give a, a bio of yourself. I could do it for you, but I'm sure you'll do a better job than me um, to people that may not be familiar with your work. Well, uh you know, where to start? I, I think I'll start real basically with Tesla. Um, when I worked on my master's thesis, which was at the University of Chicago, that was uh, in the early 1970s. Uh, the University of Chicago is at the site of the uh, Chicago World's Fair of 1893. I didn't realize at that time uh, who Tesla was. I'd never heard of Tesla at that time. And I didn't realize how important uh, that spot was to explain who uh, this, this fellow is. So a few years later, to 1976, I was uh, teaching parapsychology at a couple of different colleges, Providence College, University of Rhode Island, uh, both night schools. And I was writing articles for uh, Howard Smuckler, who was the editor in chief of ESP Magazine and another uh, magazine called Ancient Astronauts. Um, Ancient Aliens, the TV show, is kind of based in a sense on that. There's no connection, you know, between them, but they were certainly influenced by uh, Howard's uh, magazine. So I was writing articles, and I had I was writing article on on a uh, fellow by the name of Lapsang Rampa, who is a uh, Tibetan Lama. And when you get to the third book of Rampa's books, and they're really good books, uh, you find out he's not Tibetan at all. He's actually a British plumber, and that he wanted to die. It was, uh, he was uh, depressed from World War II. And uh, Rampa, the real Rampa, needed a body because he was dying. So the two souls swap. And so Rampa takes over uh, Cyril Hoskins' body and Cyril Hoskins goes to the astral plane. It's a very bizarre, strange story. But it's a neat story. And, and he's written about a dozen books and I highly recommend them. Lapsang Rampa, uh, Autobiography of a Tibetan Lama. So I went down to New York to write a, a, an article on him and research at the New York Public Library. And I'm reading a book on avatars, and Rampa was one, Jesus Christ was another. And then there was another this guy by the name of Nikola Tesla. And it said that this guy landed uh, on the, uh, from the planet Venus, landed on Earth to give us the induction motor, uh, AC polyphase system, the hydroelectric power system, fluorescent and electron lights, uh, remote control, robots and it went on and on i think i i thought the rampa story was crazy but this sounds even re really crazier that one guy could have invented all these things and i never heard of them but i'm in the new york public library so i decided to uh look for his name and i found an article on high frequency phenomena that he wrote 
And uh, so I came back to Rhode Island and I showed Howard. I said, you know, I found this guy, Tesla. He says, oh, Tesla here. And he gives me a, the O'Neill biography it's called Prodigal Genius. And he gave me another weird book called Tesla and the Venusian Spaceship. And it was written by uh, a guy, Arthur Matthews, who said that he was, uh, that Tesla was still alive. This would be 1976. So he'd be like 115 years old, circling the earth. And every once in a while, he'd land up north of Quebec in Arthur Matthews' backyard. That was the two uh, books that I got. Now, when I read the O'Neill book, it's a really good biography, but there are gaps in the book. So I wanted to get a book of his patents. The only way you could get a book of his patents, and in fact, the only way you get a book on the prodigal genius was to go to a UFO uh, organization. So I went to a UFO mail order house and I got the book of Tesla's patents, which is a thousand pages. It's this thick, it's, it's lectures and articles in his patents. And I saw one patent after the next for radio frequencies, uh, high frequency phenomena, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going, wow, he has real patents. This guy is for real. I only have to find out if he really is the inventor of all these inventions. And meanwhile, you know, I'm in the field of parapsychology, which is out of body experiences and ghosts and telepathy and psychokinesis and Eric Geller with bending metal and all that stuff. And you don't know where fantasy uh, and you know begins and, and the reality ends. But here was concrete stuff. I had the I had the actual patents. So I went into the heart and soul of each of these patents, and I made Tesla the subject of my doctoral dissertation to figure out why his name disappeared from the history books. And again, this is 1970s, early wow. 1980s. Um, and that's basically, you know, how he uh, became the subject of my doctoral dissertation. So that's a lot of my background, and, and it's directly linked uh, to Tesla. That's amazing. Yeah, that, and the synchronicity with where you were um, when you started studying him and, you know, just the history of that area, you know, and then you start studying uh, Nikola Tesla. That's just great. Um, I So a lot of people, like you said, are, people are becoming more and more aware of Mr. Tesla's work uh, because of, uh, you know, Elon Musk naming the car after him. Right. So I don't I don't think that's why I think more. I personally think that more people are just getting more curious about true histories. And as we kind of go along life, we find out about these unsung heroes. You know, I've always been fascinated by Tesla and um, Edgar Allan Poe and all those guys that seem to um, have just kind of left the earth in such a tragic way after giving humanity so much. Uh, and he's definitely, you know, his story is just so interesting in general. Are there any, you know, are there any unsung inventions, I guess, or what is, what is Tesla not getting credit for or enough credit for that he created? Well, let's start with his most important invention. It's the induction motor and the hydroelectric power system. Um, to put this in perspective, before Tesla, which would be in the 1880s, the way you would light homes would be with something called direct current. Electricity by its nature alternates, which means it changes its direction of flow back and forth. So can imagine uh, if a, uh, you had a river flowing downstream, then upstream, then downstream and upstream at thousands of times a second, and you wanted to make a water wheel go in one direction. Everyone thought that was impossible. If, if, if the river is going upstream and downstream at thousands of times a second, how could you make it go one direction? So Edison converted AC, which is the natural way electricity is, to DC by removing the upstream. So all you have is the downstream, but you lose 90% 90, 90 of the efficiency. 
So when Tesla arrived on the scene in the 1880s, in order to light a hamlet, where are you, where are you living, by the way? Me? I am in Kentucky. Okay, so in Kentucky, I don't know all the towns in Kentucky, but let's say there are 50 towns in Kentucky. You would need at least 50 little power stations for each town because right. you could only send electricity about a mile, power dropping off over distance. So if you were a mile away from the from the power source, which would be coal-operated power plants, you, your electric lights would be weak. If you were close, they'd be bright. You couldn't run a refrigerator or an iron or vacuum. All you could do would be to light homes. That was the world they were living in. Tesla conceived of a way to remove uh, the commutator, which was just creating uh, direct current so that you could harness alternating current unencumbered. And he tried to present this to Edison, but Edison was, was how can you make a river going two directions so fast? Going one, don't even tell, talk to me about it. I don't want to hear about it. So Tesla was unable to explain this idea to, to Edison. They ran into a financial uh, uh, problem and Tesla quit. He worked as a ditch digger for a year. And then he, uh, and then uh, George Westinghouse heard about him. George Westinghouse bought the patents, and that became the war of the currents: AC versus DC, Edison versus Tesla and Westinghouse. Edison was being backed by J.P. Morgan. The winner would have the right to harness Niagara Falls. If Edison had won the right to harness Niagara Falls, you could still only send electricity about a mile, power dropping off of a distance. So all the factories in the Northeast would have to move up to uh, Niagara Falls. And in the race to see who would be the one to win this would be the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. And Westinghouse took a million dollar loss to earn the right to light the fair with Tesla's system. So, so the Chicago World's Fair became the first city in the world to be lit by the Tesla system and was right, literally right by my uh, dorm where I live. That's step why, outside, that is so crazy. The fair where it was. <laughs> So that was, you know, talk about synchronicity. It was so yeah. Um, so from Niagara Falls, so they won the right to write in Niagara Falls. Not only could you light homes, you could run factories all over the Northeast. You could send electricity hundreds and hundreds of miles. And Tesla became world famous at that time. So about 1893 to about 18 to about 1900, Tesla was world famous. Everybody knew who Tesla was. And there were the two dueling wizards. It was Tesla and there was Edison. And often two pages in the, in the, in the science journals, one would be a picture of Tesla, one would be a picture of Edison. Uh, I'm an old guy, so like Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays, you know, the, the, two, the two greats <laughs> of, of the era. Yeah. Um, so that, so when I got into the story, which was in the late 70s and early 1980s, there were articles being written uh, stripping Tesla of this invention. Um, so there was a lot of disinformation. And even today, there's a book uh, printed by Princeton University Press, uh, which says that Tesla used illusion to sell this idea to <laughs> Westinghouse. So there's even disinformation today. And the same book uh, uh, from Princeton University said that Tesla was too dumb. He didn't even understand um, Maxwell's equations. You have to look at the electrical equations in Tesla's uh, Colorado Springs notes and your head spins. I don't understand them that, that, you know, uh, to the 24th power. I mean, he's got all these complex equations. So I would say even the hydroelectric power system, uh, he was, he was stripped of. Um, but then of course there's wireless communication. Marconi was the first to send an impulse uh, across the Atlantic ocean and he became world famous and Tesla ran out of money. So 
Marconi, everyone thinks, you know, that Marconi was the inventor of the wireless, but really it's all based on Tesla systems. So those are these two most important inventions, and both of them have been stripped from him uh, for various reasons. Sorry about that. I That's lost okay. um, my mic disconnected, so I hope everybody can still hear me okay. Okay. Uh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, it disconnected. So it's going off the webcam now. I don't know what happened. Anyways, yeah, that is just so, um, I, I always find that so sad. And once you hear his story and realize that people are still trying to discredit him to this day, even with everything that you've actually brought to light, like you said, there was a few books, but I feel like your research has gotten, like you filled in a lot of gaps, as you say, and you even got to go to um, the Tesla Museum, right? The, in, in Europe. Yes, in 1986, I went to Belgrade, and Dr. Marinchins was, was very kind and gave me access to files. What I wanted to do, as I said, the John O'Neill book's called Prodigal Genius. It's a great book, uh, but there were gaps. And one of the biggest gaps in that story was, why didn't Tesla succeed in the field of, of wireless? He had a huge tower. It's called Wardenclyffe out on Long Island. In fact, you can see it in, in the mm -hmm. picture next to Tesla's uh, uh picture that's in cover of my new book right behind you. Uh, so that giant tower, Wardenclyffe, why didn't it work? And I wanted to find out. I spent literally two years studying all the letters between Tesla and J.P. Morgan. And what I found out essentially was that Tesla uh, doubled the size of the tower uh, when Morgan was in Europe. In other words, he breached the contract. And the reason he was because he knew that Marconi was stealing his, his uh, patents. And so he wanted to create a giant tower, which would take over the whole world and not just send impulses to England and to Europe. And when Morgan got back, he found out that, that Tesla had doubled the size of the tower and had run out of money. And Morgan said, well, that's not my fault. It's your fault. And Tesla said, I know, but you know, let's transcend the, the contract. I'm ready to, to uh, give everybody a cell phone. He had invented the concept of cell phone technology, the ability to transmit um, an unlimited number of uh, wireless channels. And what he did basically was he multiplied frequencies. You have to compare that to Marconi in 1901. Marconi didn't even know what frequency he was using and he could all he could send was Morse code. Marconi's system could never have evolved into today's technology. You needed the Tesla continuous waves, not the Marconi pulsed frequencies. So so Morgan so Tesla's pleading with Morgan. This is all in my book Wizard uh, this book here. Um, as to why, uh, you know, give me the money. I know I blew it, you know, I spent too much, but I'm going to advance the world a century. And Morgan refused to give him the money. So Tesla, he was living in the world of Astoria. So he was friends with people like Henry Clay Frick, who had gotten $60 million from Morgan for U.S. Steel. Carnegie got $350 million and Frick got $60 million. So Frick is his is, is dinner companion, you know. And, and Tesla says, I need another 100,000. What's 100,000 if you own 60 million? It's, it's a very small amount of money. So uh, Frick said, uh, well, you know, who's your back? And he said, Morgan. And he said, well, meet with Morgan. So he would meet with Morgan and, and, and the deal would get uh, squashed. So Morgan went out of his way to make sure Tesla never succeeded. Um, and that's a lot of what I did in Wizard. I wanted to fill in gaps. That's one of the big stories in Wizard because it was a mystery in all the other biographies. And my new biography, uh, which is Tesla Wizard at War, I deal with his particle beam weapon and what happens during uh, uh, World War II. 
And what you find out, you know, that the, the myth is that Tesla just became this old man feeding the pigeons in the park. But in actuality, he was dealing directly with people like Joseph Stalin at the Soviet Union, with uh, uh, General McNaughton, who was the head of secret weapons development for the Canadian government and was the right arm of uh, Winston Churchill. He was third in line to become uh, head of allied forces. Uh, it was Eisenhower, Mountbatten, or McNaughton. They chose Eisenhower. Uh, but that's how high up he was in the wrong. And McNaughton was literally meeting with uh, Van Eva Bush, who was the head of the Manhattan Project in America, and with uh, President Franklin Roosevelt. And I have all the letters between Tesla and uh, McNaughton. So what I do in, in the new book, uh, Wizard at War, is I show that Tesla, even in his 80s, as World War II was in, uh, in, in development, about to happen, and also during World War II, Tesla was negotiating with the very highest echelons of government. This has never been discussed before, not on this level. Um, and that's, you know, some of the new things. So I deal with a lot of gaps in, in the, the first book, Wizard, and I deal with uh, additional gaps in, in the new book. Absolutely. And I had a chance to dig into it the past couple of days. Um, thank you so much again for sending um, me a copy. It's like I am I've been obsessed with books since I could read even before that. So um, Isn't it a nice size. I like I just like. This oh, story. it is. It feels nice. And um, it's nice because I like to be able to bend it a little bit when I'm holding it because I have small hands. Yeah. And um, you can bend it without breaking the spine. So and I know nice it's little things, face. guys, right? <laughs> For me, I like the typeface. I mean, I think they did oh, a great job. Oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm trying not to get a ring light on here, but there's a picture of it. Oops, wrong way. Yeah. I did put a picture of it right there, and you can see it on the thumbnail, too. It's such um, a, great, a great photo of him. I just, it really is. I'm very happy with the cover. Yeah, it came out beautiful, and it is a, it's a great book already, and you do talk about a lot of things where um, I – you know, you may have touched on, but some of it you haven't. So I recommend everybody pre-ordering the, the new book and reading the one, the other wizard book that Mark has written, because that's more of like, uh, you know, everything about him. But there's still some stuff in there that you haven't heard. So if you think that you've, you know, done a lot of reading about Tesla um, and you need to get Mark's books because it adds so much more to that. Um But yeah, I thought it was amazing. The what are some of the biggest mysteries about uh, what happened with the trunks, because that's always been crazy to me. And I remember watching you on Tesla files and you made it all the way to the archives and they wouldn't let you see the signature. And for you, for those of you that don't know, you are a, you are a handwriting specialist as well, right? Yes. I um, was so mad for you. I was like, oh my, and I remember why <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, let them see it. Did you ever get to see it? Oh, the funny thing is <laughs> I, know, I've, I know very well uh, Dr. Jovanovich, uh, Branimir Jovanovich, who was the okay. head of the Tesla Museum, who you see in that segment. Right. <laughs> the night before we had dinner, he and his wife and myself, uh, at, and we're walking down the street, and uh, uh, Ol just says, uh, where do you want to eat? I said, how about there? He, she says, okay, let's go there. So we go there, and we're having dinner, and she says, uh, look behind you. And I look behind me, and there's Joseph Fines, you know, the... the uh, I mean, Ralph Fiennes, the, the actor uh, from The English Patient and, and you know, yeah, yeah. In the Bond movies and stuff. He was right there. And uh, one of my partners uh, from uh, Hollywood uh, 
had just had dinner with him, you know, a couple of months before. So I walked over to him. I told him who I was and mentioned my friend. And he said, sure. And so we, we got a photograph together. So I'm having a great time with uh, uh, Branimir, who I know is Bronco. I've known him for 30 years. And so the next day we're shooting the, the show and we're looking at the Russian files. Tesla's negotiating literally with Joseph Stalin because Joseph Stalin has to okay the $25,000 that Tesla wants for the secrets of his invention. And I said, can I see the signature page? And he said, no, you can't see it. And uh, I was, you know, unhappy about it. But I also knew why he did that. Um, there are bureaucracies and he's in a very difficult country with a, they're actually tied right now to, to Putin. Uh, oh, wow. You know, Serbia is, and then it's horrible with what Putin has done. And so I know that he had to pretend that he's a, you know, a hard guy. He's going to be right. really tough. He's not that way at all. So I know why he did that. He's protecting his job. Um, and so it made for great copy. I thought it, it was oh really Oh, my good. gosh. But yeah, I, I never get, would have known you guys were friends. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get to see the signature. But I did get to see the, the, uh, the Soviet Union uh, correspondence between Tesla and the Soviet Union. And also in the new book, um, I was able to get um, documents that have been recently declassified from the Soviet Union. Um, and I was, you know, I used Google Translate and whatever. So all that's in there. All the negotiations that Tesla mm -hmm. had with the Soviet Union uh, is in the new book as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't imagine getting to see a document that old. Like, I'm just a nerd. I like to see old documents and things. So I can only imagine just being in there, being in all of that, you know, even amongst some of the trucks that were trunks that were in the museum. And that's still a mystery, right? Like, we don't know what the actual amount of trunks he had or... Um, what am I missing exactly? Well, the thing about the trunks, partly it was a, a vehicle for the television show. I mean, I think that mm -hmm. um, uh, that the museum got all of his trunks. So it's not really the trunks, but it's the information in the trunks. Oh, yeah. Uh, whether or not they got all the information. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. Um, you know, the Osprey helicopter airplane, it takes off like a helicopter and then the and it rotates into the airplane position. Yeah. You Google that, you will never see Tesla's name associated. Maybe now because of me or whatever, you'll see it. But it's not in there. Uh, and Tesla has a patent on, he called it a flivver plane. So the military was using that idea and it, and it evolved into Tesla's, it took off like a helicopter and then rotated into the airplane position. It's Tesla's invention. And it's now a $70 million warplane uh, for, for the military. So there's an example where his, role in that process is missing. Um, again, just Google, uh, you know, the Osprey and try to find Tesla's name in there. Maybe my name will show up. I don't know. But for <laughs> the most part, it, it's missing. Um, another example, of course, is the particle beam weapon. Um, Tesla had a particle beam weapon. And if we go back to 1984, uh, I'm looking for the secret papers. And I've been on this trail for eight years, from 1976. I want to yeah. find the particle beam weapon. And I'm, I'm speaking at the International Tesla uh, Society Conference, uh, Toby Groats and Elizabeth Rauscher, who's a physicist who recently passed away, um, designed this conference. I'm one of the speakers. And Andrea Puharich, the guy who brought Uri Geller to the world, is another speaker. And he's going to speak on how uh, they're using brainwaves, you know, Tesla waves to, to influence the brain, um, you know, the microwave stuff that's happening in Cuba and all that stuff. And this is in 1984. And instead of that, he has the secret particle beam weapon and he shows it at, at the conference. And I, I photographed the whole thing and it's published in, in the proceedings. 
And it was just an, an unbelievable how he was able to get this, this, uh, this document. Um, so, so it was just a great time. And Puharich, you know, became important to me because he gave me other information. He told me about um, uh, John Hayes Hammond Jr. Uh, those of you guys who are in the Northeast, there's the Hammond Museum in Gloucester, Massachusetts. It's 10 minutes from Rockport. And it's just a great spot. And Hammond worked with Tesla. He was Tesla's partner. Um, so there was all these secrets, uh, you know, that were revealed uh, about all that time. So getting back to the trunks, so the, so the information, the particle beam weapon, the Soviets have the particle beam weapon paper. The Yugoslavs mm -hmm. have the particle beam paper, but we didn't have it. The Americans didn't have it. It was kept secret from us. It's still mm -hmm. secret from us today. You can't write to the government and ask for a copy of it because they won't give it to you. So there's two examples where his inventions have been hidden from us by the government. The question is, are there other examples? Um, one of the final chapters in my new book, uh, Tesla Wizard at War, deals with Tesla's uh, secret uh, theories on the dynamic theory of gravity. And yeah. it has a lot to do with the God particle, the particle that gives matter its mass. Um, and I was able to piece together what I think is uh, his uh, dynamic theory of gravity. It's very, very interesting. So, so those are three areas. Cosmic rays is another one. I had to keep the book uh, to a, a, you know, 100, 100, 120,000 words, 130,000 words. So there's a whole chapter on cosmic rays. Maybe it'll be in the new book uh, if I get to write another one. But that's another secret. So there's four areas that are still uh, very secret uh, about Tesla, which would be associated with um, the television show that we had. Uh, we didn't get to do all of them yet. Maybe we'll do another uh, a series after that. But but those are some of the secrets that we had to deal with. Yeah, it was amazing um, in the show how you guys did the uh, the ground penetrating radar. Um, yes. Because that's that was only rumors before uh, you and the show did that, right? Yes, uh, Kevin Burns, who was the producer, unfortunately he recently passed away. Oh. Brilliant man, he's the one who hired me, flew me out first class to uh, Hollywood to be you know, to help design the television show, The Tesla Files. And then uh, uh, he wanted to find if those tunnels existed. So we hired uh, this ground penetrating radar group and they spent uh, almost a solid week of going over the Wardcliffe area. And they really uncovered not only these 400 foot long tunnels, which are 70 feet underneath the ground, <laughs> underneath Wardcliffe Tower. They also found Tesla's earth grippers, which look like spikes yeah. uh, coming out, uh, kind of like uh, spokes of a wheel. Uh, and uh, Gary Peterson is a, is a good friend of mine, a, you know, a Tesla researcher. When we were reading the material, Tesla said that he would used special uh, driving equipment to drive out 300 feet of piping underneath the ground. I thought they went out like spokes, like a wheel. Right. And Gary thought they went out in one direction. And he gave a very good argument for that. And I started saying, mm, maybe he's right. But after the ground penetrating radar photographs uh, came in, uh, I turned out to be right, and it really was spokes on the <laughs> wheel. Um, and so this is all discussed, you know, in, in the new book. Absolutely. Uh, the question is, why are there these tunnels 70 and 80 feet yeah. underneath the ground? W what's the point of that? So for somebody that's not familiar with Wardenclyffe, what was the whole purpose of it? You know, if you're into Tesla, you already know this. But for people that might just be getting into Tesla, can you explain... Um, the whole situation with that part of his life in the in the tower and and the goal of that tower. 
Yeah, as I said, Tesla is the uh, primary inventor of wireless communication. There was a man before him in the 1870s. His name was Loomis, who I think really is the first primary inventor. And then after Loomis, is really Tesla. Um, and Tesla came up with the Tesla currents, the continuous wave frequencies. He figured out how to multiply frequencies. He had a remote control robot, which he showed in 1898 at Madison Square Garden. And they had two aerials. And you had to combine the two frequencies in order to make the boat uh, travel. And uh, so right there, he's combining those two frequencies. Again, Marconi, and I have the quotes in both books, Marconi didn't even know what frequency he was using. He, that's how far back he was. Mm. Tesla was an advanced mathematical genius. And he understood that if you multiply the frequencies, let me give you an example. Let's say only 10 frequencies exist on the planet for cell phones. You could only have 10 cell phones. Mm. But if you combined two of them, then you have 10 times 10 is 100 cell phones. If you could combine three frequencies, you would have 10 times 10 times 10 is 1,000 cell phones. So if you only had 10 frequencies, you could still have 1,000 different people having their own cell phone if you could combine three frequencies. That's how Tesla created the, the primary concept of cell phone technology. And John Hayes Hammond Jr. called it his prophetic genius patent. Oh. It, it, it's behind encryption. Um, and, it's, and the reason why he did that was because he had a torpedo. So if you send out a torpedo and the bad guys get control of that frequency, they can make the torpedo go back and, and hit the, the, the actual boat that it was coming from. So Tesla wanted protected privacy. And so he combined frequencies. And that was the genius uh, of that. So he realizes in 1900, 1901, when he approaches Morgan, if I build this huge tower, this wireless tower, I will be able to have everybody on the planet with, he didn't use the word <laughs> cell phone, but the equivalent of cell phone technology, right. every single person will have their own channel. And Morgan, you know, how do you send <laughs> words through the through the airwaves? Come on, you must be nuts, you know? <laughs> so Morgan doesn't understand what's going on. And, and, and how do you build people? We have computers now. And Tesla's saying the money's going to come in different ways. I grew up, and people my age, we never paid for, for television. We never paid for radio. <laughs> in the 1970s, when I was getting my master's degree, I had a friend who was going into cable TV. And I thought, what a stupid guy. <laughs> who the heck is going to pay for TV? It's all free. But free television and free radio created billionaires for so mm. many different people, mostly through advertising. Look at the look at the uh, pay that that baseball players and football players are getting. Who would ever imagine that a, that a, a tackle in a football uh, team would make sixty million dollars? I mean, you know, it's it's beyond belief. But it's all through uh, you know mass communication. So Tesla's trying to tell Morgan the money will come in in different ways. It's a whole different paradigm. And Morgan just couldn't understand uh, what was going on, and and that's so he's got this huge tower. And he wants to complete it. And he wants to, he uses the term, advance the world a century so that I'll be here, you'll be in Kentucky. And it's like we're sitting right now. It's like you and I are sitting in the same room. Right. 
he says that to Morgan. He says, but back then <laughs> you'll be in, you'll be in Australia and we'll be talking to people in Australia as if they're across the room. He even mentioned that like a small device, right? He even, and one of some of the, one of the quotes in your book is he's talking about, it'll be about, it'll be small and, you know, and do all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. He said the size of a wallet. He also <laughs> says something that no one else has ever said anywhere. He said, my invention will convert the earth into a brain, as it were, which will yeah. feel in all its parts. I get chills. Me too. I'm sorry. Because, I get excited. You got, it's so nerdy, but oh my gosh, what's happening right now? Yes. He, he <laughs> is, he's envisioning a global community. And, you know, the good thing about the horrible thing with Putin and, and Ukraine, the good thing is the rest of the world has come together. Um, and, and that's what Tesla was envisioning. He wanted the world to come together and he felt, let's get away from borders. We don't need these borders. Yeah. And, and my wireless system will remove all the borders. So unfortunately, what happened was uh, he ran out of money and Marconi's uh, dot and dash, you know, uh, uh, Morse code system took over for the next 20 something years before radio really came in. Uh, and so we start, we ended up with an inferior system. Mm. So to get just to mention quickly about the tunnels, Tesla understood that it was more, uh, it was more efficient to send the energy through the earth. Right. And Marconi was sending it through the airwaves. And what Tesla said, you can only send the air energy through the airwaves, not too far, you know, when you're in a radio, in a car, when you get about 30 or 40 miles from the station, you got to pick up a new station. Uh, that, that's the, about the range right. of, of it. But if it goes through the earth, it goes through by the means of conduction and you can transfer a tremendous, almost 90 something percent of the power from one place to another. So we also wanted uh, to have a electrical power transmission as well as, uh, you know, uh, uh, communication. Right. And I, I think that's just so like if we if this would have happened in his time how advanced would we be now we talk about you know um the scales of civilizations and we're not even a level one civilization right now uh you know so but that would have put us in that direction because he also talked about harnessing um all this power from other places like natural things as well so um it's just i don't know why people i don't it's just sad it's just it's just sad to me and disappointing that um even though he had things in the works that uh, people didn't listen because of their ego, essentially. You think about Morgan, like it's just, I was so um, in shock when I read the part where you were talking about how, you know, Morgan was basically going out of his way to discredit him. And then even he was shunned from his own community of scientists at times. So um, it's just, it just blows your mind about how he pre he predicted everything that's happening right now with technology. Well, what's a level one? organization uh, civilization so level one civilization let me pull it up because my brain is um kardashev scale of civilizations uh let me see if i could find it for you so um, michio kaku talks about it a lot and he talks about it um when we're talking about what sort of life uh we might encounter in the universe through different Are you in touch with him? um i'm not I am not. I wish I was, but I'm sure. Uh, I was trying to get him a copy, an advanced <laughs> copy of the book. He hasn't answered my. my uh, yeah, he's he's a hard one. Um, so the type one civilization. I'm finding. I'm going to be reading this. It's a type one civilization. Is so the, the Kardashev classification is based on the assumption of growth rate of one percent per year. Kardashev believed that it would take humanity three thousand two hundred years to be 
um, to reach type two. And type one is a civilization close to the level presently attained by Earth with energy consumption at four times 10 to the 19th ERG per second, which is four times 10 to the 12th watts. A type one civilization is usually defined as one that can harness all the energy that reaches its home planet from its star. So that's like the type one. And then from there it goes up. And, um, and it's usually brought up when we talk about um, technologies around UFOs or UIP. You know, that's what Tesla's goal was. I, you know, I, I missed a certain important point about, the, about his hydroelectric power system. It's renewable. Uh, it's long, it runs on a waterfall and it's also pollution free. So when Tesla through Westinghouse harnessed Niagara Falls, he did away with 3,000 local power plants which were producing coal and coal-operated power plants. So all that smoke and, and junk was right. in there. So I really believe that Tesla is the single most important person in the last 100 years to help slow down global warming because hydroelectric power replaced all of the coal-operated power plants. Uh, and so he was always thinking renewable energy. I think about the horrible thing that happened in Japan a few years back when oh, they had yeah. the tsunami and the nuclear power plants exploded uh, on, on the shore there. Um, they should have never put it there because they had markers on the land say, don't ever put anything important right. below these markers. And they put power plants there. My goodness. But, but the thing about Japan is it's it's got um, geothermal. You know, it's on volcanic areas. Right. And Tesla mentions geothermal. He mentions harnessing the tides. Of course, he was into solar energy yes. as well. So he was definitely a level one civilization, level one thinker. And he yes. wrote about all of these things, you know, in his writings. Yes, he's, it's very, it's crazy to think about. And, and you know, he even had at one point, you know, this is Quantum Witch Cafe. We always bring it to the UFO at some point. But he even believed that he had contact at one point or messages from another uh, civilization in space. And he talked, you know, a lot about sending messages to other civilizations. So um, what was the, I can you break that down for us when he, how that happened with him and, you know, what he thought he was receiving and where he thought he was receiving it from? Yes. At the time, I, I've written about this. There was the group <laughs> fantasy belief that, uh, that there was uh, intelligent life on Mars. Even today, just Google it, you will see many articles about the possibility of there being life on Mars. They're talking about lichen or you know, uh, some type of uh, plant life or something, uh, snow caps at the top and bottom, and is there water on Mars and all that. But in those days, there was the belief that there was life on Mars. Daphne de Maurier's uh, grandfather uh, wrote a book called The Martian. Camille Flammarion, who was a very famous um, astronomer, and uh, Percival Lowell, whose brother was the president of Harvard University. Lowell had a huge telescope out in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, right near where Tesla's Colorado Springs Laboratory was. And Lowell wrote a book published by Macmillan Publishing. Very, it's a beautiful, heavy book with big pictures. And it had the pictures of the canals of Mars. So there was a tremendous belief by many, many scientists, astronomers, that Mars was a million years ahead of us. And they were waiting for the Earth, for the Earthlings to catch up. And so Tesla thought, well, if they're going to contact anybody, they'd contact me. And they contacted me through wireless. When he was out in Colorado Springs, and you have this great picture of him in Colorado Springs sitting among all that light. I love this picture. He's just like, no biggie. Like, 
it's a double exposure, but it's a it's a really good yeah, experience. it's still cool. <laughs> and it's you know what it, 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 uh, the furry that I read another biography uh, uh, about Tesla, and I saw that photo for the first time. It blew my mind. This was you know in the nineteen seventies. Uh, it's just an incredible photo. But anyhow, one night uh, on his. Uh, equipment. He was tracking thunderstorms at distances of about 600 miles. He, he, didn't, he knew I don't have to travel 600 miles away to, to have a, 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 you know, an experiment. If I can pick up a thunderstorm at 600 miles away, then I know my equipment will, will pick up information from that kind of distance. So he's tracking thunderstorms at 600 miles away. And all of a sudden he hears beep, beep, beep. He hears these three beeps, and that's what they sounded like because uh, the Corn Brothers reproduced it, and I heard those three beeps. And he thought that they were signals from Mars, so that the Martians had contacted him through a mathematical code. This, you know, in a sense, gets translated into Spielberg's Close Encounters of the First Kind, where the UFOs uh, communicate through music and, yeah. and through numerical systems. Spielberg at the time never heard of Tesla. Wow. Um, I was, uh, you know, working with uh, the actor J.T. Walsh, who was, uh, this is the early 1990s. Um, we had a screenplay, which we still have another screenplay we're trying to get uh, made with Tim Eaton, who worked for Lucas Films for like 20 years. And uh, so Walsh, was trying to get the screenplay into Spielberg's hands. And uh, he said to uh, Stephen, uh, he was on shooting the movie Dad, uh, he said, Stephen, you know, uh, my friend uh, Mark Seifert's got a, a screenplay on Tesla. And Spielberg said, who's Tesla? I never heard of Tesla. <laughs> uh, so he didn't know who Tesla was, even though he, uh, derivatively, his Close Encounters of the Third Kind had very much to do with Tesla because Tesla wrote an article in 1901 called Talking with the Planets. He yeah. said, I received these three pulse frequencies. This was in Collier's Magazine. And I think it's probably the, the Martians uh, contacting me. Uh, so that's how he got a, a connected to the UFO uh, group. He believed very much in, it's called the plurality of worlds, that there must be other intelligences out there. We now know that the American government has told us they're UFOs. We don't know yeah. what they are. Uh, but it's impossible to believe that we're the only intelligent species in the cosmos. And that was Tesla's belief. And then he thought, well, maybe they, uh, Martians had, had contacted him. Um, so that's how he got attached. And that also helped hurt his, his uh, you know, credibility. Too. Yeah. So it <laughs> was a, a dual sword. That's changing, you know, and um, because we have more and more scientists, you know, coming out. And we have Avi Loeb that created the Galileo Project that has like hundreds of scientists now. Um, devoting their time and effort to finding proof of, you know, these UFO, UAP. And uh, I think it's super cool. And he was so ahead of his time. I know that people say it all the time, but like the more you learn about Tesla, the more you realize it. And I'm trying to like talk about this without giving too much away because there's a lot of good stuff in your, your book that will be coming out in August, right? Late August. Yes. Yes. So you guys have time to read the first wizard book and then pre-order the next book. <laughs> so you have time to read one and then the other one will be right at your doorstep as you finish. If you're a slow reader, <laughs> not to insult your reading speed or anything. I did have a question in the chat. Um, Shelly has a question about uh, Einstein and Tesla. And that's always been kind of a, a lot of people um, want to talk about that and speculate about it. But um, she has, I have a question. Is it possible Einstein and Mr. Tesla buried a paper they worked on together? Well, I looked all through Tesla's files in um, Belgrade, 
and I looked all through uh, Einstein's papers, not personally, but I wrote to the people that have the Einstein papers uh, there in Israel, um, and there is no correspondence whatever between them except for one letter that Einstein wrote uh, wishing Tesla a happy birthday on his 31st uh, in uh, 18, I'm sorry, 1931 when Tesla turned 75. Um, there's another letter which I found, which is in, in the new book from Vannevar Bush from uh, MIT, and Bush was the head of the Manhattan Project a few years later. So seven Nobel Prize winners uh, uh, wrote uh, Happy Birthday to Tesla in 1931 when he turned 75. Um, the other question, though, is Einstein uh, was looking for something called grand unification. He was trying to combine gravity with electromagnetism. There are four forces in the universe. There is uh, electromagnetism, there's a strong and the weak nuclear force, and there's gravity. The strong nuclear force uh, holds the nucleus of the atom together. The weak nuclear force holds neutrons together inside the nucleus. And uh, electromagnetism holds molecules together. Those three forces have been combined mathematically, but they've been unable to combine that with, with uh, uh, gravity. So if they could combine these three forces with gravity, that would be grand unification. Einstein spent 40 years of his life trying to do this, and he was unable to do this. Uh, Walter Isaacson just, you know, completed a recent book on Einstein, which I read in, in, in depth, and I read several books on Einstein. Uh, Isaacson's book, the biggest problem with the book, it's a great, unbelievably great book, but what's missing from the book is Minkowski. Minkowski uh, was Einstein's mathematical teacher. Minkowski um, introduced the square root of negative one, which is a uh, imaginary number, uh, to stand for time. And that, that's how time and space were, were connected. The three coordinates of space were connected with the one coordinate of time. Um, so what's so interesting is that it's an imaginary number. There is no square root of a negative one, because uh, negative one times negative one is positive one. Yeah. There's no such thing as a square. But that's an imaginary number, and it's used. This <laughs> is important, uh, because what I did was I was able to uh, solve Einstein's dream of grand unification in the new book. And I, I can explain it pretty quickly, because that's how oh, sure. amazing it is. Tesla's dynamic theory of gravity. You have to understand, I've been at this for 40 years. I have read every single thing you could possibly imagine about Tesla, and I and I have a thousand end notes in the first book, and I don't know how many end notes in the second book, many personal letters. I only found one quote in one spot, and it was an article, and Tesla uh, was interviewed by Joseph Alsop in 1934, and he tells uh, Alsop, um, you know, the sun is uh, um, absorbing more energy than it's radiating. You know how hot the sun is. You know, you can, you can get burnt. Just in, the sun is absorbing more energy than it's radiating. That's ridiculous. So I put it in Wizard, the, the original book, and I, I thought about it. I, I got to put it in there, but it makes no sense to me. Well, the more I thought about it, the more sense it began to make to me. Because I realized that what, the, what that statement was had to do with the dynamic theory of gravity. And then I said to myself, why did he tell this guy Joseph Alsop? Who the heck is Joseph Alsop? The Alsop brothers were famous journalists, but he was only 23 or 24 at the time. He was a young kid. It turned out that Alsop was uh, Corrine Robinson's grandson. Who was Corrine Robinson? Corrine Robinson was a very close friend of Tesla's. There's a lot of letters between the two of them. Um, and... 
her brother was Teddy Roosevelt. So Al Sop was related not only to Teddy Roosevelt, but Teddy Roosevelt was, you know, related to Eleanor Roosevelt. And Eleanor Roosevelt was actually related to her husband, Franklin Roosevelt. They were distant cousins. So Eleanor Roosevelt's really last name would be Eleanor Roosevelt Roosevelt, she said. So <laughs> Al Sop was connected to two presidents, and that's and Tesla told him the big secret. So what does that mean? The sun is absorbing more energy than it's radiating. When we jump up from the earth, we land back down to the earth. Why do we land back down to the earth? I thought retracted to the earth. That's not what Tesla's theory is. What Tesla is saying is that all matter absorbs energy all of the time. So we're absorbing energy. Uh, this phone is absorbing energy. This book is absorbing energy. My mouse is absorbing energy. This pencil is absorbing energy. But the earth is absorbing a tremendous amount of energy all of the time. So the reason we fall back to the earth when we jump up is not because we're attracted to the earth, but because we're in the way of the influx of mm. all the energy that the earth is absorbing. You, do you follow that? Yes, okay. yes. Okay. So Only because I've heard it before. You, you were on another podcast and I, I, I listened to it and... I, I've heard you. If this was my first time hearing, the first time I heard it, I had to replay it a few times just to visualize it. Okay. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. So, so if all of matter is absorbing energy all the time, what does it do with that energy? Here's where these, uh, the imaginary number comes in. George Gamow, G-A-M-O-W, is one of the founders of uh, quantum physics. Um, you see a picture of him with uh, Wolfgang Pauli and uh, Niels Bohr um, and... Uh, Heisenberg, they were all sitting together. Gamo said in his book, 30 Years That Shook Physics, that when they were looking at the electron, one of the missing numbers was particle spin. And what uh, Gutsmith and Uhlenbeck found was that particles were spinning faster than the speed of light. And he said in his book, Gamo says, it needed to spin that fast because it needed to spin that fast to generate electromagnetic energy. This is George Gamow speaking. Not me, George Gamow speaking. So the problem is that if, if electrons are spinning faster than the speed of light, it violates Einstein's theory of relativity because Einstein said nothing could travel faster than the speed of light. So they didn't know what to do because they found they had a finding that contradicted Albert Einstein, the great Albert Einstein. Right. So Dirac came along and said, you know what? Let's call particle spin the square root of negative one. <laughs> So he said, so if we have, to, if the particle is spinning at the square root of negative one, he got the idea from Minkowski, who combines space with time. So Dirac combines particle spin with the other three uh, coordinates that Pauli came up of, of where the particle is in, uh, in, around the nucleus. And he gets a Nobel Prize because he was able to combine Einstein's theory of relativity with quantum physics and Dirac got a Nobel Prize. But what happened to the idea that particles spin faster than the speed of light. If yeah. you Google it, you'll see my name and that's about it. You, yeah. Maybe you're really lucky, you'll find Gutsmith and Uhlenbeck, but it's been pushed under the sun. So here is Einstein wanted to combine gravity with electromagnetism. If electrons are spinning faster than the speed of light, they are absorbing etheric energy that exists in a tachyonic realm. Tachyons travel faster than the speed of light. So the underlying ether that, you know, if you look at a picture of a galaxy, it's floating in something. Right. That is the ether. Uh, so all of matter is absorbing this stuff at 
tachyonic realms and converting it into electromagnetism. That's how you combine gravity with electromagnetism. And I believe that I have solved Einstein's grand, equa uh, grand you know, equation of trying to combine electromagnetism with gravity. I'm not capable of doing it mathematically, but conceptually, uh, I, I have done that. And that's basically what I discuss in that chapter. It seems to me to make perfect sense. It's just an elegant solution, and it combines Tesla's theory with Einstein's theory. So to answer uh, Shelley's uh, question, I think that that is the, the answer of how they the two of them are combined, but they themselves never work together. They didn't work mm -hmm. on the Philadelphia Project or any of that stuff together. Yeah, um, that's uh, very I, interesting. Uh, that's how they that's how they are combined the theories yeah that is very interesting you're right the, it's so horrible of the science community just to if they don't understand it just like nope and they don't even consider it most of the time i'd like to think some of that is changing and avi Loeb talks about that in his book extraterrestrial that and so did um oh my goodness just so did jacques valet in one of his books like if they he they've both seen it happen where uh, a scientist has shown something that is contradicting one of the great scientists, one of the canonical scientists, you know, like Albert Einstein. And they're just like, oh, no, it can't be. But what if, you know, these theories are right and it's holding us back from understanding the universe even more and understanding new physics even? We had to create an imaginary number. Come on. <laughs> I, I still don't get that. I get it, but I, I get it, you know, in context. But I'm just like, they would rather... They would rather just make something up than accept the fact that maybe one of Albert Einstein's pieces of the puzzle was not fit. Do you know? So it's very, very sad to me um, because who knows what geniuses are out there. Now you just need to find like a mathematician to to uh, to uh, help you publish that. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's right. If I could, well, maybe uh, Kaku, you know, would, would be able to do it. I don't know. Um, yeah, you, but you know, I mean, you mentioned these secrets. There's another secret uh, that Tesla was involved with. He sold a he, he uh, invented an ozone generator, and he sold ozone uh, machines uh, all throughout the early 1900s. And there was something called ozone therapy. I have a new book coming out. It's called uh, Ozone Therapy. Uh, uh, it's a cure for uh, you know treatment of viruses. Right. Um, and uh, the sad truth is that ozone therapy will disable viruses and it will disable the COVID virus. But the FDA has uh, said that ozone is a toxic gas mm. uh, with no medical application. Um, in 2001, Paul Wentworth is a, a chemist at Scripps Institute. He discovered that our own antibodies uh, manufacture ozone uh, as a way to disable viruses. Right. Um, when we get a vaccine, uh, there's nothing wrong with the vaccines, but they don't tell you how the vaccines really work. What a vaccine does is it uh, it has a piece of the spike of the virus uh, that is uh, disabled. Um, so you now build an antibody which can which can attack ahead of time. And no, you've already got that uh, uh, jump start. So if a person gets COVID and they have they're vaccinated, they already got the antibodies that are ready to attack this uh, virus. The antibodies don't kill the virus. What the antibodies do is they disable the spike. And if the, if the, if the virus has no spike, it has no key to get into the right. lungs, it, it dies. But what they don't tell you, and I'd be like anybody that's listening, whatever, to show me an article which explains how the antibodies kill the virus. The way the antibodies kill the virus is through poor Wentworth's discovery. 
our body through hundreds of millions of years of chance mutation and survival of the fittest of evolution have come up with a way to kill viruses and that is it manufactures ozone which is o3 instead of oxygen o2 and hydrogen peroxide h2o2 and those two enzymes and certain other enzymes are used to kill the virus i've read many books on the immune system none of them explain that simple truth and so there's another example you're talking about how uh, great geniuses have been thwarted well one of tesla's most important inventions is the ozone generator which uh, could have uh, prevented uh, this entire pandemic if, if the fda uh, had not been so close-minded uh, about this technology there are many uh, medical doctors that I'm working with right now that are part of this uh, book, uh, Ozone Therapy for the Treatment of Viruses, um, who have been successful in, in disabling this virus. So that's another important invention of Tesla's. It's right. called the ozone generator. He's a hero in, in that realm. So he was Absolutely. into health uh, as well. And he tried to cure cancer too by sending electricity through the body. I was going to so, say, that was my next, you, you read my mind because I wanted you to um, talk with the remaining time uh, about uh, the electric bath and his theory with those. Because some people think like, oh, I get zapped, I'm dead, which is usually the case, but there's a certain threshold where it um, is not going to kill you, right? Yeah, well, in the battle of the currents, you know, Edison was electrocuting cats and dogs, a horse and even an oh. elephant. A lot of you have seen that picture yeah. of the elephant being electrocuted. And he testified at the uh, trial of uh, William Kemmler who uh, axed his uh, mistress to death. And so uh, to, they were gonna use the AC electric chair to uh, put him under. Um, and so, uh, you know, so so that's what happened. So, so Edison testified that, you know, AC will kill you, but DC can kill you as well. So what Tesla did was he sent hundreds of thousands of volts through his body to show that uh, electricity could be safe if done correctly. When I've seen a chiropractor, they hook me up to electro, uh, right. <laughs> electrotherapy machines, and it sends electricity through your body. It's it's that constant, <laughs> but there are resonant frequencies. You know, Royal Wife talked about this with light. Um, so a virus or a bacteria, they will have resonant frequencies. Um, you know, I don't know if you know the old the, the old Memorex commercial when Ella Fitzgerald would hit a certain pitch, she would break apart a, a glass, <laughs> shatter a glass, and it's the same concept. If you know the the resonant frequency of a cancer. And if you could bombard the body with that particular resonant frequency, you can destroy those tumors and nothing else will be destroyed. It's very specific. So uh, Royal Rife is another uh, great genius who was thwarted, who came up with how to uh, you know, potentially cure cancer that way. And Tesla was working the same concept but using electricity and high frequencies and hoping that high frequencies, specific high frequencies uh, would be beneficial to your health. And uh, I think that they're both correct, but more, you know, clinical studies need to be done. Clinical studies need to be done with ozone therapy as well. Absolutely. So we get the scientific, uh, you know, uh, underpinning to, to establish uh, what, what really is, uh, is well known uh, in, many, in many realms, you know, uh, of, of people that have been doing this for decades. Absolutely. And I love I love in your book how you have the letters from people. And at one point he had a couple of like prominent people um, do the same thing to themselves. Not He did it to them, right? The electric uh, current through their body. <laughs> so I had to ask if you were, you know, uh, back in that day, would you let Tesla <laughs> zap you? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Would I let Tesla zap me? <laughs> uh, probably. Uh, I have a letter from uh, Marion uh, Crawford. They were, uh, you know, three uh, uh, very famous novelists at the time, Rudyard Kipling, Mark Twain, and, and uh, Marion Crawford. And two of them went to Tesla's laboratory in 1894, Crawford and Twain. And Tesla was sending electricity through both of them. <laughs> Maybe calling up light bulbs. And, and Crawford writes to his wife, but he sent hundreds of thousands of uh, volts through that my body. That is so funny. Can you imagine getting that as a text nowadays? Like if my husband texts me like, oh, I forgot the whatever at this door. I'm like, what? Can you imagine? But, you know, it's, it's probably an ego thing. I mean, if, if Mark Twain's standing next to me, you know, I don't want to, you know. Yeah, don't yeah, don't chicken out in front of Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny because you have uh, you do have that letter in there. So reading it and just imagining the the whole situation, just like oh, we go to Tesla's lab because it's the thing to do on these parts, right? It's the coolest place, and he's just like, hey, hold this light bulb, I'm gonna zap you, <laughs> and you can't say no to him because there's you know probably other females watching and other men watching, and it just sounds like it, it just. I just love everything about it. So you definitely have to read his book. It comes out August 30th, but you can pre-order it now, right? Yes. Uh, Tesla, Wizard at War. I have letters. I like the letters because, you know, you mm -hmm. see uh, one of my favorite letters was a letter that Tesla wrote to Katherine Johnson. Uh, he said, uh, he's meeting, you know, Reggie Kipling. He says, what is, a, what is the matter with ink spiller Kipling? He dared to uh, take me to the seedy hotel where I Sure to sew, uh, fine hair and cockroaches in the soup. And so I read that part. Humor. Yeah, um, that, that one made me laugh too. The <laughs> uh, letters between him and William Randolph Hearst, uh, the Hearst Castle out in, in California. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany, uh, he was a good friend of Lewis Comfort. Tiffany is, is in the book. And I discovered another uh, lady, a socialite, uh, Daisy Maud Gordon. Right. Was, uh, that was a good uh, story in there. <laughs> yeah. So his personal letters, he had friends, both sexes, all ages. Um, he was very well uh, loved, really. Yes. Uh, Stanford White was a very good friend of his. Um, I, this letter, I don't know if it's in, the, in this book or the other one, but where White invites him up to the tower of, of Madison Square Garden, he said, uh, come to the tower. We're having a party up there. And uh, you know, Madison Square Garden had this huge tower, it was 300 feet tall. It was the tallest building in New York City mm. in about 1893 when Tesla went to this party up in the tower. And then Tesla moves into the Metropolitan uh, Towers, which is then the tallest building in the city for his office. And then he moves into the Woolworth Building, which is still one of the tallest buildings, 800 feet tall. So he's constantly moving to these very tall buildings. Um, so for me, part of the story is uh, uh, the morphing of, of, of New York City itself. It's a character Absolutely. really uh, in the story. And as I mentioned, I, we, I have a screenplay with my partner, Tim Eaton, Who's, uh, if you Google him, he worked on many uh, Lucas films, Back to the Future, and, and uh, those kinds of movies. Um, and uh, we just think it would make a you know a fantastic uh, motion picture to tell his yes. life story. Absolutely. And what we try to do in it is to tell you know what really happened, because to me his real story is more amazing than any work of fiction, and 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 that's really you know been our. Uh, uh, North Star to, to try and tell what really happened. Uh, yes. His interaction with all these greats from the city. You know, that's what I loved about his life. He moves into the world of a story and is with all of these <laughs> incredible people, Mark Twain and Rudyard Kipling and John Jacob Astor. And, and uh, you know, he knows Sarah Bernhardt. You know, it's just, it's just an incredible story. It really is. So definitely please read the first book. 
Um, and then while you're waiting, read the first book or the, that book tomorrow or tonight, and then it'll be here in a few days because Amazon. And then put this one on pre-order because it really personalizes a lot of the experiences. And honestly, I think somebody could read this second one, this the 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 one that's coming out in August. I think that you could read it if you didn't read the first one, but it's going to add so much more to what you've learned in the first book. And it's, I think that Kat said she just got it on Kindle, the first one. So she couldn't wait. She had to, she had to download it now. <laughs> so, so, but yes, Kat, definitely going to want the second one. What's the, the newer wizard book once you uh, read that one. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Safer. Is there anything that you want to add? Did, was there anything you wanted to talk about, um, about uh, Tesla's life that you wanted to put out there or your own work? Yeah, uh, the only thing I'd like to say is that when, when Wizard came out, this is Wizard, it was, re it was uh, reviewed by Publishers Weekly. And one of the lines that it said was that the book was revelatory. And I was really humbled by that, but it was true. I, I really came up with uh, things that no one else had ever known about him. And I uncover new things in the new book. Um, the odd thing is both, well, Wizard is, is a bestseller. It's, it sells more and more each year. But my novels, uh, no one has ever read. Uh, and so I would just like to make a plea that uh, called the Rudy Stein Quadrilogy. I've written four novels. I think you'll find them uh, very fascinating. Uh, the first book uh, is uh, Rasputin's Nephew. It's kind of a takeoff on the life of Uri Geller. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, I mentioned Andrea Puharich, and you were mentioning UFOs. Uh, we interviewed Puharich in the 1970s, and I'm out, you know, walking out at his property, and he's got a watch, and he says, you know this watch? He says, the dials move when the extraterrestrials want to contact me. Wow. So they, they will, you know, so, I mean... I'm in touch you know, with, with these very amazing <laughs> people. And some of that is in Rasputin's nephew. Oh, for um, sure. And the other, the other books, uh, Doppelganger and, and Crystal Knight, have to do with uh, World War I and World War II. There's a modern story and a backstory. A lot of research went into those uh, about how the wars uh, were fought. Um, the Red Baron in one book and, and uh, the Miracle of Dunkirk. It's a whole different view of what the Miracle of Dun Dunkirk was all about. Uh, Hitler came very, very close uh, mm. to uh, winning the war. I don't know if uh, many people don't know this, but he captured 1.5 million soldiers uh, wow. in, in early in the war before Churchill uh, became uh, prime minister. And the 300,000 that got out is the miracle at Dunkirk. Uh, but he, had he listened to one of his generals, he would have gotten those 300,000 as well, and he would have won. Um, we're looking at Putin right now. Well, Hitler would have had credibility had he captured those other 300,000. I get into detail into that, but it's a fun novel. It's a novel. It's a the yeah, murder yeah. mysteries and novels. And the last book is Fate Line. It's a murder mystery about uh, graphology, uh, that some graphologists are being murdered for some uh, nefarious reason. So I would just make a plea that you guys, if you like my book on Tesla, uh, I also have books, uh, novels that are um, very, uh, very uh, well written and, and heavily researched. And, uh, it amazes me that there's been no crossover. Uh, I'll sell, you know, uh, 10,000 books or whatever of, of the Tesla book, and I'll sell three books of the novel. Oh, so, uh, you know, that's, that's the story. I did see of, them of on the there. Way. Yeah, I, maybe I need to, yeah, I'll definitely start. Um, once we get settled and I can order more books, I'm going to check those out because uh, my husband pointed out that most of my books are uh, reference books. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm just, you know, it's, it'll be nice to find a reality there. Yeah, I'll like, it sounds like I'd like this because it's, um, you know, informed historical fiction, you know, so I, I really want to check those out as well. And it sounds like, and I, I know with your, your type of work and research, I'm sure those are great too. So please check out Mr. Cipher's other books as well. Um, Elena, we just, yeah, we just, uh, we're about to wrap it up. But thank you to, I see Neil's here now, Kat, Laura, Shelly. Thank you, Shelly. You always have some fun, some fun questions and comments. And Curious George was here earlier. And Kat, of course, thank you to everybody listening live. Um, are you doing anything? Are you doing any other appearances? Yes, uh, uh, the Smithsonian uh, has a, a, a chat uh, that will happen around September. I also just want to uh, congratulate you on your graphics. This is a beautiful setup here. Oh, thank you. And uh, I thank you very much for inviting me on your show. And uh, I just appreciate uh, all the work that you went into, you know, looking at my stuff and, and asking, you know, very cogent questions. So thank thanks thank again you. for having me. Now I have your website. Um, I have your, well, you said you're not really a social media person. So I did put your website in the description um, because uh, that will be the place where they can find the most update information, I'm assuming. Yeah, you know, people, I just got a LinkedIn thing from a from an agent. <laughs> uh, and and so I tried to click on it and said, what's your password? I couldn't remember my password. Oh so yeah, that says, whole thing. <laughs> it says, we'll give you one, a one shot free thing so I do the one shot free thing and she disappears. I didn't write her name down. I can't find her. Oh and I gosh. find that all the time. Someone from Facebook will, will send something to me and I'll press it and out will come my picture on my thing. What the heck is that person? <laughs> so I, I'm not the best on Facebook. I just, you know, and then LinkedIn, I'm not that great at it either. Okay. Well, keep me on your email list and I'd be happy to share on social media like, you know, your things coming up, your events coming up. Um, we're definitely going to keep talking about this book and then the next book you're writing and the one that you're working on, all that stuff. Thank you to anybody in the live chat. Uh, Mr. Cypher, hang on for a minute after I end the, end the stream. And uh, thank you for listening on Anomalous Podcast Network, now, later, in another dimension, on another planet. I appreciate you. There is ways to support the channel in the description, but the easiest way for me is for you to share and give me a thumbs up and keep coming. Have a great night, everybody.